You've heard the old expression that honest confession is good for the soul. And so what I want to do is confess to you something this morning honestly that will come as probably a big shock to you. Norm and I have a toy box at our house. Actually, we have more than one. From time to time, there are little ones that come and stay at our house. And so we have toys there for them to play with. Imagine that. Well, in one of those toy boxes is a plastic box that has different shapes cut out in it. There are squares and rectangles and plus signs and triangles and ovals. and Then there are blocks that correspond to those shapes. And the other day I was watching a little boy as he was trying to put the different shaped blocks and match them up to the different shaped holes. And while watching that little boy play with that box with all those different shapes on it, an old expression I've heard all my life came to mind. You've heard it all of your life. It's trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It's an expression that we use to describe a situation where something just isn't working out the way it's supposed to. It's an expression that describes something that just shouldn't be. And truthfully, all of us have probably fallen into that trap at some point in our lives. A situation where maybe we're trying to be something that we're not. A time where we put on some kind of a facade thinking that we're fooling everyone. And to be sure, we're usually not fooling anyone but ourselves. The facade doesn't fit. And it's a situation where we're incredibly uncomfortable. For example, have you ever seen someone in clothes that don't fit? If you've been to Walmart, you have. Maybe a middle-aged man with a substantial spare tire, trying to wear the same size pants he wore when he was in high school. Or maybe a 17-year-old boy with his pants falling down. I think they call that sagging. And he walks kind of like a duck trying to make sure they don't end up around his ankles. And you see those kinds of things and you wonder, why not just buy some pants that fit? Instead of trying to fit into pants that aren't suited for you. Or how about this? Now I want you to visualize it. If you haven't seen it. You see a woman who's trying to wear her teenage daughter's jeans. And you see her in Walmart. And you see her shuffling down the aisle. She's barely able to walk, much less breathe. And you watch her. And you have to resist the temptation to not follow her all over the store because you know. You know if she drops something and has to bend over and pick it up, she's buying her daughter a new pair of jeans. Uh Uh-huh. You've seen that, haven't you? You see, why not just buy something that fits? 
instead of trying to squeeze into somebody else's size. But before we laugh too much, every one of us is just as guilty, aren't we? Maybe not in the clothes we wear. For me to try to wear the same size pants I wore in high school, that would be a pipe dream like you wouldn't believe. I didn't have to go to Ahab the tent maker back in those days. But maybe it's not the clothes we wear. But let's face it. You and I live in a world where we every day feel pressure to fit in. You see, most people are made in such a way that they want to gain the approval of those around them. All of us want to be liked. So, in order to be accepted and liked by those around us, we tend to conform to their way and their pattern of life. And that conformity is apparent in our dress oftentimes. It's apparent in our behavior, in our thinking, and it's even apparent often in our language and our vocabulary. Let's be honest. Probably the thing that most of us fear more than anything else in life is being different. Sometimes we see this conformity in someone that comes from a different part of the country. They move to the south, or especially to East Texas. And they find our drawl somewhat strange, and sometimes they even find it a bit amusing. And yet after they've stayed here for a while, they go back home. And when they go back home, they sound strange when they get there. Their friends say, well, you've taken on that southern drawl. You sound like you've been in East Texas. It wasn't something that they set out to do. It wasn't something they did intentionally. It just happened. Guess what? That same thing happens in many phases of our lives. And some of it is a good thing. But conformity to our surroundings can be dangerous. And it's something that can be especially dangerous to the Christian. Because it can involve the compromise of principles and it can lead to the loss of souls. You see, folks, the sad reality is there are a lot of people in our world who, today who call themselves Christians who are living ordinary lives. There's nothing about them that makes them any different from non-Christians. And the sad reality is that all too often we've got too much of the world in the church. And we don't have enough of the church in the world. And here's what Paul said in our text this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. He says, Come you out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. In that same verse, he makes another important statement. He also said, Touch not the unclean thing. Now let me say something right now. 
Let's talk about what that text does not mean. That passage does not mean a complete withdrawal from all non-believing people. And the tragedy is there are some people today, some people who call themselves Christians, that think that what Paul meant there was a complete withdrawal from all unbelieving people. It's not what he meant. There are some people that have wrapped their skirts about them, so to speak, in a self-righteous piety. And having done this, having wrapped their skirts around them in a self-righteous piety, they've withdrawn from the world to be alone with their goodness. And we often see a false, a pharisaic separation. A separation that renounces things, but it never renounces self. If you had a congregation of people such as this, a congregation of that kind of folks would be a remarkable congregation. They would go to church, read the Bible, pray in public, give of their prosperity, be strict in their conduct, and go to hell. Separatists like that make a big fuss over their righteousness. And over all the unclean and sinful practices they don't engage in. And they don't know one single thing about real spirituality. That kind of separation is not taught in that passage. And it's not taught anywhere else in the Scriptures. The Scriptures nowhere teach that as Christians we are to withdraw into seclusion. On the contrary... The Scriptures teach plainly that we, you and I, us, are to swim in the current of life, in the main current of life. You remember how they criticized Jesus? What did they criticize Him for? Because He ate with publicans and with sinners. Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven and came to this earth. To associate with evil and sinful people, people like me and you. And through that association, cause them to be better people. That was the pattern of life of the early apostles. That was the pattern of life of all other Christians in that far off day and time. They lived among the pagans. So the pagans might become Christians. You remember Jesus' prayer the night of His betrayal? It's in John chapter 17. And especially in verse 15. Jesus prayed for His apostles that night. Jesus did not pray that they would be taken from the world. He prayed that they would be kept from the evil one. In Paul's first Corinthian letter, a letter that was strong reproofs for a scandalous church, Paul spoke plainly about disciplining Christians that were unfaithful. 
It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 5, verses 9 through 13, where Paul talks about that. And in that passage, Paul plainly shows that an evil person within the church ought to be severely disciplined. But Paul is not advocating that Christians cease association with unbelievers. He's not advocating that Christians cease association even with adulterers, extortioners, or idolaters. It's our business. It's the business of Christians to associate with such people to help them cease to be sinners. When that woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, get out of here, I never want to see you. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. Sin no more. Our text this morning must not be understood as indicative of a lack of concern on the part of Christians for the souls of others. It does not mean we withdraw from the world at large. Then what does it mean? It means that we must discontinue any association that hinders us spiritually. And it's not primarily geographical or physical or even a social separation that's intended. What Paul's talking about is a separation from anything that will degrade us morally. A separation from anything that will degrade us spiritually. When Jesus Christ walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine, Jesus lived and worked among some of the worst sinners the world knew. But if you look at His life, the stream of influence was always flowing in the direction of Jesus. When Jesus went into the homes of publicans and sinners, He exerted His influence upward toward righteousness. And by Jesus exerting His influence toward righteousness, their wickedness was reduced. Their motives were heightened and their hope of salvation was increased. Because Jesus came among them. That's how it needs to be with us. We're to be, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the salt and the light. You remember it's in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light to all that are in the house. Listen to it. Let your light so shine before men that others seeing your good works will glorify the Father which is in heaven. Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. Jesus tells us that our character 
is to be a positive force in this world. Salt. That's something hard to ignore, isn't it? Put a little too much salt in the soup and what's going to happen? Everybody's going to know it, aren't they? Light. You don't have some of those room darkening drapes and you're trying to catch a little extra sleep. That sunlight coming through those windows is, you're not going to ignore it. It's going to wake you up. You can't ignore salt. You can't ignore light. They're a positive quantity and if they're present, you have to recognize them. Write this down. It's on the final exam. As Christians, we are not to be moral minus signs. God did not design us and Jesus did not save us to be harmless non-entities. We are not to be uninteresting creatures who are faultily faultless, icily regular, and splendidly dull. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be positive folks and we're supposed to be strengthful folks. What Paul is telling us is... We're not supposed to look like the world. Have you thought about what to some is the new normal for the world we live in? People dressing all in black with nose rings, belly button rings, tongue rings, and all those kind of things. Men walking down the street holding hands. Government embracing same-sex marriage and the murder of babies in the womb. What kind of world is that a normal in? We are to be in the world. We are not to be of the world. The world needs to see there's a difference in us. If we dress like them, if we talk like them, if we act like them, if we go where they go, if we do what they do, if there's nothing different about us, why should they want to make a change in their life for Jesus? You see, what we've done over the years... We've come to a place where we've let our guard down. We've allowed this world, government leaders, politicians, we've let them determine how we're going to live our lives. The time has come for Christian people to stand up and be counted for Jesus. And the tragedy is that for fear of being called Pharisees, so many Christians have ended up as worldlings. And then there are so many, it seems, in our day and time that seem to want to live. They, they enjoy being, seeing just how near to the world they can live without being of the world. How far can I push that envelope? How close can I get to the edge of the cliff? And not fall off. Do you remember the name of Henry David Thoreau from American Literature class? This means yes, this means no. I love Thoreau. He was a rugged New England individualist of the 19th century. I must confess, I find his writings quite interesting. He once chose to go to jail 
rather than pay his poll tax to a state that supported slavery. And it was during that period of his life he wrote his essay on civil disobedience. While he's in jail, his good friend Ralph Waldo Emerson, you know him too, don't you? Emerson was the son of the man. And so Emerson comes to him and Thoreau is behind bars and Emerson says, Henry, what are you doing in there? And Thoreau says, no, Ralph, the question is, what are you doing out there? In his great work, in my opinion, his greatest work, Walden, Thoreau writes these words in the final chapter. If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or far away. If you and I are going to be what God wants us to be, we've got to have the courage to be different. We've got to step to the music of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be square pegs in round holes. We've got to realize we weren't intended to fit in with the world. But where does the strength come from? Where does the strength come from? Where do we find the moral strength to cut those ties with those that would drag us down? Where do we find the spiritual stamina to separate ourselves from something that's detrimental to us spiritually? The strength is found in the promises of God. We must live in the world but not be of the world. We're to be lights in the world reflecting the light of the Lord. And we take the light of the Lord and we send the light of Jesus into the dark places of the earth and we brighten them with it. We're the salt of the earth using the saving power of God to redeem lost souls. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And as Thoreau said, step to the music which you hear, however measured or far away. That's what I would ask you to do this morning. Step to the music of Jesus Christ. Come you out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. Make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life. Because if Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, you know, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. I would beg you this morning, if you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord and Master of your life, whether it's to believing in Him with all your heart and turning your back on sin to repentance, confessing His name and being buried in the waters of baptism for the first time to make Him Lord of your life, do that. Or you've done that. You haven't lived this kind of life. You, you need brothers and sisters to pray with you and for you. I don't know what the needs of your life might be this morning. But if there's something in your life that we can help you with. Come and let that be made known as together we stand and while we sing.